Welcome to Witness. I'm Laura. And I'm Keaton. We, we're bringing people something different today. Uh, every episode, particularly in this first season, we've talked about how they're going to be a little heavy. <laughs> we're, we're talking about the most difficult part of being a person, which is that we fall apart and we often um, need other people through the, our darkest days and we need other people to lead us towards death. We need other people to be around as we grieve. And we're bringing kind of a different story today. Uh, our friend Ben, who's in one of our earlier episodes, introduced me to his friend Joyce. Uh, Joyce had this unique story of hosting her own wake. She had been diagnosed with cancer and was doing the thing we've talked about in some of our episodes of counting down the days. Her doctors had given her a certain amount of days they thought she would live. And she, when I was talking to her, she was exceeding those days. She had lived past the time the doctors had suggested and was trying to just kind of revel in those days she had. And one of the ways she decided to pay attention and mark those days and mark her life was to host a living wake. And so a lot of the conversation is me talking to her about that decision and how she was feeling <laughs> with this sort of expiration date on her life and what it felt like to live past that. But I should say, as we get into the conversation, that we, we interviewed her back in the spring and Joyce did pass away uh, in July of 2023. And so we're just bringing you something that's a little different. This is a person who's talking about her last days, and they did end up being her last days. Uh, Joyce is the wife to Jack. She's the mother to Corey and Rhiannon. Uh, she also had a sister who survived her and a grandchild uh, to carry on her life and her story. And so I just want to just honor her through sharing this conversation. Uh, I met with her in her kitchen in Northeast Ohio, and I was just so impressed by her, the peace she had, and just sitting with her was so calming. Keaton, as you were listening and editing this and, and producing this episode, was there anything you noticed from the conversation with Joyce? Yeah, absolutely. Joyce had such a, a boldness and a bravery in looking mortality in the eyes and encouraging other people to do so with her. I just think it's such a kindness to the people around her to acknowledge and tell, give them access to being able to say, hey, this is something that exists and is happening and let's talk about it and let's be together with it and let's let's do this. let's do this with each other. Yes. And I think that you know, as I've gotten to, to know more about her life, a lot of her life was spent in service to other people. She, she worked in ministry. She had a prison ministry up in Northeast Ohio. She worked with students. Uh, she really served wherever she landed and took care of other people. And so I think of this conversation I got to have with her as, as an act of service that she left behind. And so hopefully maybe uh, she has some work still to do in the world uh, through these words. The 
the way I thought we'd start is we're kind of strangers. So (laughs) So you don't usually just meet somebody and start recording a podcast. That's true. (laughs) That's what we're up to here today. So just tell me some of your life highlights. If you met somebody and they said, what have you been up to all these years? What would you tell them? Oh, geez. Um, I taught for a while, uh, phys ed. I was the, uh, what do you call it? Biscuit maker at Hardee's. Okay. You know, (laughs) I still have time to make the biscuits. Um, And then I've been in the church for, you know, so many years right now. But I don't know. I I was an athlete, which kind of hurts because I can't do any of that now. Some of that's age. Yeah. What was your sport? I played volleyball and softball for my two. And I also did karate for a while. All right. Yeah. So I won't mess with you then. No. <laughs> well, you can try. No. <laughs> you can take me. <laughs> so um, I got to go to Cuba. All right. For mission work. Got to preach one evening uh, service. And then I did a women's teaching. And it was just, I don't know, it was so cool. Yeah. And just... I can't even explain how wonderful that was. How about family? Any highlights there? Well, I have two kids. I'm going to be a grandma for the first time. That's exciting. May 11th. Yeah. I had to laugh. My husband and I have been married 30, don't tell him I forgot, <laughs> 31 years. No, wait a minute. Got married at 30, so it would be 34. This right. coming fall. And that we um, <clears throat> met in the church. And four weeks until we were engaged. All right. And one of those weeks, he was in Seattle. And another week, I was at camp. So really, <laughs> we only had two weeks. <laughs> but you still feel good about that choice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some Most times. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had somebody tell me from the church that she didn't think we'd make it. I'm like, why'd you tell me that? Way to put a bummer on my head. Uh, Yeah, people are good at that sometimes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) All right. So tell us about we're here because you have been dealing with cancer for several years. Yes. Tell us about your diagnosis and how that sort of shifted your life, if it shifted it. Of which one? I've had two. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I had breast cancer first. Um. But that was only stage two. And with chemo and all that, that, that was cured. I don't have it anymore. But uh, four years ago, I was doing everything right, you know, going in for my colonoscopy. And apparently three years before that, when they took a cancerous polyp out, it had already jumped and went into my lymph nodes. Okay. So, um, I, I mean, when I heard stage four, you know, that's pretty much a a death sentence or whatever, because there's nothing, you know, else you can do. Um, but it, it, it was hard. Um, I had to quit preaching, you know, once the cancer hit and all that. I quit the church job thinking that I was going to spend more time in prison work, because I did that up at uh, NERC, which is... Northeast Reintegration Center, and uh, COVID hit, 
so I couldn't do anything but be introspect, you know, and just heal. But uh, it was um, it was hard. I had an oncologist that told me that you know it's it's not you know treatable, Joyce. And I'm like, well, so you say. No, Joyce, you can't, aren't going to get healed from this. I'm like, so you say. I said, I have a God bigger than this cancer if he wants to do it. You know, and so I, I left her and went to one who had a similar thought process because, I mean, you have to find, you have to find the right team to sure. be able to do this. And they gave me three years, and that was four years ago, All right, right around this time. Yep. Yeah. So now they've given me three to six months, and it's been five. <laughs> so then they added on some more months. I'm like, you know, just when God tell, takes me, he takes me. Yeah, but, that uh, puts your brain in such a, and I think a lot of cancers do this. It's such a, there's a very bizarre math to, mm -hmm. to cancer diagnosis, and and we're always learning new things, and a part of it is what you think is going to happen plays such a part in the way your body does. It was it was absolutely horrible when I got to three years, and I still was feeling okay because I had done everything from when I was diagnosed for those three years on my bucket list. Sure, you know we traveled. <laughs> I, I I've seen all fifty states now. You know my sister and I, and then I get to the end. It's like. <laughs> okay now what <laughs> you're on bonus time <laughs> I'm on bonus time yeah um but that was hard because I'm like well now what yeah you know and you kind of would you say have you made peace with that oh yeah yeah oh yeah you have to you know and she every time they give me a date I'm like thank you for the challenge <laughs> you know um they laughed at the the wake they said that uh Next year we'll we'll um, celebrate the fifth year. <laughs> like I'm not doing a wake every year. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's jump to the wake. So you decide at some point that you you want your flowers now, so to speak. Yeah. Right. I don't even know why I was driving one day. I'm like, why do we wait till the end to have the funeral, and you don't get to share with anybody? So I looked up living wake, and believe it or not, there's some information out there and took that and changed it a little bit and it was fun we had over 90 people there okay you know and you said people were a little unsure tell us about the reception what did people think about your idea <laughs> um my family mostly thought I was crazy I'm like okay you've lived with me you know <laughs> I'm crazy you shouldn't think uh I had some friends who thought it was weird I had a lot of Christian friends think it was neat Okay. You know, Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, the ones that knew where they were going, I guess, um, was okay with it and really liked the idea. And I really didn't know what to expect. I've never done one. Sure. You know, so there, there was a lot of nervousness, you can tell, you know, especially in my family, but because um, we've had so much death in our family, they don't want to face it again. And it's part of living. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about we talked about that a little bit that we just as a culture don't do death very well. We don't like to talk about it. So I wondered, you know, did you feel like this was a way of of doing it better or yes. being more honest yes. about it? Yes. In fact, I told them the reason why I was having this wake was because 
you know, so we had a time to talk about death, you know, because I said death should be celebrated just as much as birth. Yeah, there's a, I know in Columbus, um, I think especially in a world where people aren't going to church as much, mm-hmm. church is one of the places where you you do talk about that. Right. And, and they don't even talk about it much. Right. And it's still kind of a, an escapism, like... But I know in Columbus, they started doing these, they call them death cafes. Really? Where people just kind of get together and talk about mortality. And wow. And talk about how should having a, having numbered days, how should, right? That's a, the Psalm says, teach us to count our days so that right. we might gain a wise heart. It seems like there's some people who right now are, want that right. in some form or another. So they're going to, if they're not getting it at church, they're going to make it for themselves somehow. And that was, you know, I don't know. I just, I wanted to see people. My sister says I um, suffer from FOMO, (laughs) fear of missing out, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, we had food, we had a cake and I said, what do you put on the top of a cake for a wake? (laughs) Yeah. You know? What did you go with? Um, Well, the theme was butterflies and laughter. And so we went with um, the new creation. So there was a butterfly and... It was really pretty cake, but tell us about the, was it like a reception? Was there any kind of, did anybody give speeches? Oh my gosh. Yes. Sharing Um, time or anything like that? Like an open mic? Yes. We, we ate, then we um, played a couple games. We had a a one that they went over and put on um, whether I would have done it, did do it (laughs) or no way in Hades (laughs) would I do it? You know, so that was kind of fun. That's Um, a good game. And then I had some people talk. My one nephew had a 12-page memory book. <laughs> I'm like, Robbie, <laughs> okay. Um, and then I had another nephew that actually sang the song, Thank You, uh, for giving to the Lord uh-huh. to me. That was, that was pretty special. Yeah. You know, so not a whole lot of people spoke because they don't, but... It was nice to hear what some people said, and I didn't see it in myself. You know, you don't see the positive, I guess. We're just focused on the negative. Yeah, that was one of my big questions, because I think there's a lot of, um, like, mental health experts who say that's a that's a whole thing in our brain, that negative stuff sticks in our brain and positive stuff doesn't. Right. And I, I wonder, you know, 10 people can say something nice about you, but if one person says a a mean thing that's all you remember. I wondered if in this setting where you are looking at a a calendar and a diagnosis and the doctor's prognosis when you're sitting there were you able to receive that impact in a different way than you have the rest of your life? I think so. Um I've been pretty I don't want to say successful but I was good at sports and that's where, you know, I spent most of my time Mm-hmm. But then when I had this diagnosis and all of a sudden COVID hit, so I couldn't go to the prison anymore and I couldn't do this. And, you know, what do they say that if you want to make God laugh, you know, give him, tell him your plans. Sure. Um, so it was very humbling, you know, because these people are, are being vulnerable and they, they're laying their heart out and telling you how much you meant to them. And I'm thinking... 
I couldn't stand these two nephews growing up. <laughs> I mean, they were obnoxious. So was I probably. And yet here they are doing a 12-page memory thing. And say, it's like, wow, I did not see that coming. Yeah. You know. Well, that's what I wanted. There's so much of a, especially in families, when somebody dies, it's like we all of a sudden put a different frame around them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we see them differently. And it's sometimes not until we have to see them differently. Right. Um, yeah. So I wondered if it was healing in any way to kind of, to have some of the people who showed up, not that you have to rat anybody out. But. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I had a brother-in-law and sister-in-law fly in from Seattle, a niece that flied in for Houston, from Houston, another cousin that came in from Minnesota. I mean, it was just like, just for that. I wondered, so you're also now thinking about what you're going to leave behind. You say you planned some of your future actual funeral. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. It's almost done. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Why was that so, important for you to... Because to I'm tired of funerals being so depressing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I understand grief, and I'm not trying to make light of death, you know, because it is sad. That's what happens when we love. You know, we're going to miss them. There's going to be tears. There's going to be grief. But, you know, when I was a preacher and would do funerals, I would always add things in there to make them laugh. Sure. You know, because it's a release for them. And so I didn't want the normal songs that, you know, if you've done a lot of funerals, you know, Rock of Ages, Amazing Grace, you know, and I'm like, I don't want those. <laughs> um, so I started looking around and uh, found different songs that were more fun um, and had deeper meaning than just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the hymns, you know, and some of them are absolutely touching and right on and beautiful, but I want people to think about eternal life, not as a depressing time, but mm -hmm. hopeful. Sure. You know, we don't know, you know, someone will say, well, do you think, you know, you'll recognize my mom up there? I'm like, I don't know, but if it works that way, I'll let her, I'll let her know you <laughs> yeah. said hi. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I have like, I want like, um, enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, you know, when, um, the Imperials, I don't know if you remember them. My sister liked them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I went like to four of their concerts just to hear the bass because I love the bass. But um, they sing a song called The First Day in Heaven. And it is very fast. It's only like two minutes long. Mm -hmm. And I want that to be the first hymn, you know, and on the first day of heaven, you know, when you're walking down the street, uh, there are mansions on left and right. You know, I mean, it's very fast and very upbeat. Yeah. So I think our, our imaginations are a little bit limited when it comes to that. You, you know, we we lean on things we've seen in the movies right. <laughs> of clouds and elevators and right. <laughs> things like that. But I remember, um, I think it's C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, where he mm. talks about, um, he kind of tries to paint a picture of heaven and hell. And I just remember this passage where he talks about the grass being of some substance that he can't find words for, that even something as elementary as the grass right. is special right. um, in eternity. And I, I, I'm not a super woman or whatever, um, <laughs> so I have moments sure. where I even get mad at God. Yep. You know, um, other times I, I've, I've had relatives who were healthy 
keel over and die. And here I am with the diagnosis and still living. So there's guilt in that. Um, so I constantly have to be in the word and be listen to some of those songs just to keep my positive outlook. Yeah, that's what I wondered. Is there anything right now sitting where you are? Is there anything you know that you want the rest of us to know? Your shirt says it as well with my song. Yes, I know. <laughs> That's one of my favorite songs. Oh, yes. Yeah. It is, it's one of mine, too. Um, I really wish that everybody, I know it's cliche, you know, cliche or it's it's a song, but they should live like they, they're dying mm -hmm. because things, priorities changed so quick when I was diagnosed with this, you know. We know that we're going to die, but when you put numbers on it, right. it becomes more real. Um, and nobody wants to talk to you about it because it brings them to tears. But so what? You know, I mean, it's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh. And I just would love to have people out there know that if they are following the Lord, there's nothing to be afraid of. And uh, that's that's basically what I've been trying to do for four years is to say, hey, I've got this disease. It might take me someday, but but you're here now. I'm here now, and I'm going to live my life. And you know, maybe I'll mean something to one person before I go. So, well, you know, you did. You you know, yeah. You get to kind of leave with that some peace about that because you're you're awake. Yep. Um, I'm curious. You know, part of this podcast, I wanted to explore the idea of withness, which isn't a word that we use very much, but right. I think we should. I'm wondering if there's been any things that, you know, obviously people showing up, people loving you at that wake was, is there anything else that, you know, I think a lot of times when somebody in our family or a friend circle gets a diagnosis, we don't know what to do or say, Right. we do weird things. Then we try not to do the weird things. So we don't do anything. Have the, is there anything people have done for you that have been, you would encourage other people to do that? Like just what would you say to people who they're not the one with the disease or the diagnosis, but they love somebody right. who is? Um, be there. You know, don't walk away. Just, I mean, sometimes just be there. Yeah. Um, I have a friend whose husband has cancer, so, and I'm a good friend. So she's like, got it from both sides. Yeah. But um, sometimes there isn't anything else you can do, but listen and be there for them. And tell, I mean, that's, I did, I told God that he got the glory for this. So the neatest experience was when I went to my radiologist, um, I went in there and all of a sudden, you know, we were talking, you know, that and laughing and he turned around and he goes, aren't you diagnosed with a uh, stage four cancer? I said, yeah. And he's like, how are you so positive and laughing? You know, and I'm like, well, let me tell you about my Jesus. <laughs> so I got to witness. That was, that was awesome. That was um, another time I was in the waiting room of a surgeon. My sister was there and I was talking to a couple people and found out that they were believers. And we had a prayer circle, right? And, you know, my sister comes out and it's like, you got to be kidding me, you know, <laughs> anywhere you go. I'm like. <laughs> well, and I've heard that, you know, my sister went through cancer. I, I think she found those chemo rooms to be pretty holy. Yes. Um, to be where there's no room for anything other than the the most truest stuff. Right. right. Um, I'm curious, you said you were, you were planning on 
kind of leaving a message. You know, I just did a funeral on Saturday and the woman had chosen some verses that she wanted read. And I, I I wanted people to hear it in her voice. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just thought, oh, I wish we would have had her saying some of these because a person's voice is so precious and intimate. I wondered if you've you have you already recorded the message you plan on? No, not yet. You, not in my head. I you're have thinking but, about it. Um, yeah. Do you want to give us a preview of the, the, big, <laughs> the big idea there that you want to leave people with? About? Um, I guess I just just want to give them one last message of hope and love, and that you don't have to fear. Yeah, I I've been reading some stuff about funerals, and um, and I talked to Ben about this when I interviewed him that. There's a, a a book called The Good Funeral, mm-hmm. and one of the authors says that there's two preachers at every funeral, and one is a one is death. Oh, <laughs> <Essentially>, yeah. <laughs> that, that no matter what you do, death is in the room, right? That right. Everybody's there, kind of reckoning right. with that, and, and that you, is the difference of a li- a living wake and a and a yes, funeral. Right? Yes. Yeah. And we have to remember that. When you go to a funeral, they're just not grieving that one person. Right. They're grieving all the, you know, it reminds them of all the losses. Yes, you know, that's that they've absolutely had. true. Yeah. And our, our family has had many losses. So I want them to know joy, you know, before or after I go or whatever. That's why, you know, the, the guy I have preaching is going to like not have anything to do. So <laughs> he'll just stand up there and press the button. Um, you know, part of this is about the eulogies that we give. Um, I wonder if you were giving your own. What do you hope people are going to say about you? Most of the time I'm t- being told that I was funny. <laughs> I'm like, is there anything deeper that I can leave with you? You know, <laughs> good. I'm known for my jokes. Um, but laughter is one of the best things you can lead people. Um, yeah, I would just hope that they would look at me and say, man, she followed a God that I don't know, you know, and maybe it prompts them, you know, like planting seeds, you know, and and someone else is going to have to fertilize it, you know, so they can grow. But at least I'm planting the seeds. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to make peace with that, right? Like I've, uh, that's a part of it is oh yeah, that you've done work that will live past you. And every, every job that I've had, except for maybe the biscuit cook, <laughs> um, the teaching, the youth work, the Christian education, then the pastor, you don't see the end right. very often because I do have um, a gay child, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of flack from people and, you know, she's ruining my, my ministry and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, can we just love, I mean, what Bible are you reading? What God are you reading about or following? I mean, well, and I wonder so much of that feels like an effort to control things and, and it, it is almost a denial of yeah. <laughs> what really matters and, and not really paying attention to. And that's what a diagnosis of a terminal illness does. Sure. It focuses everything into, okay, I've got limited time. What are you going to do with it? Right. You know, are you going to 
I mean, for the first time in years, I did what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. I traveled out west. We saw 14 or 15 states in like 10 days. It was like whirlwind, you know? And I, I would be put, posting pictures of like, weren't you in North Dakota just yesterday? <laughs> We're in Montana now. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I got to love people and I got to visit people. I mean, things I haven't been able to do because, you know, as well as I do, the church takes up and most of it is putting out fires. Yeah. Well, that's what you got to do a lot of exploring. I wonder, just as a final question, is there any, like, what's been the most beautiful thing you've seen in your, in your life? That's one of my favorite, favorite questions to ask people. And I wonder, answer that, but then also, is there anything you'll kind of picture on your way out, you think, to kind of give you peace in those last days? I found that the trip out west was so powerful because, I mean, come on, we don't have mountains. We don't have rivers like they do out there. Um, we went in September, and the skies were blue the whole time. We never had one bit of rain. Um, and nature's glory. You know, people always ask me, you've been to all 50 states. Which is your favorite? And they all think I'm going to say Alaska. And I'm like... Utah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Utah is, you know, scripture talks about that um, even the rocks will praise him. And I'm like, come on, rocks are, you know, and, and I was hiking and I was trying to get behind the waterfall. I, I do, I don't do things normal, you know, I just don't look on the outside going, oh, that's neat. I, I, but what's behind it? And I, I was put my hand on the side of the bank to like steady myself. And it was like, I almost shuddered at, you know, the, the energy that I felt. And it was like, oh, my gosh, they do, you know, they are going to cry out. And uh, sitting there in front of the Grand Tetons and just the awesomeness, if that's a word, <laughs> um, of, of his power, yeah. of his beauty. Um, and if he did that for our sake— then to me, it's proof that there's a God. Yeah, I love that. It, it has me in my, it reminds me of uh, another, I'm really being a, a preacher today, quoting C.S. Lewis. I, don't, <laughs> I usually don't do it this much, but <laughs> he does in, uh, in one of his essays, he talks about this idea that, that in eternity, there will be this moment. He says, like, think about that joy you feel, that awe that you feel in that moment, looking at something magnificent in creation, that someday in eternity, all of creation will look back at us and we'll see us has that picture of glory. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if your wake gave you even, you know, just a little bit of a taste of that, that you, Joyce, are a beautiful creation of God that you probably couldn't even see for most of I, your life. I think it? so. I haven't even posted on Facebook my feelings about it because I'm still trying to process <laughs> sure. it. Um, you know, we can, it's hard to take compliments or whatever, but this goes deeper than that. And uh, I was just like, again, I use the word humbled, but um, I did that. I said that to you. 
that mattered to you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm just trying to be a human out here, you know, a kind human. Yeah. Uh, doing what God wants us to do. And um, it was pretty, it was pretty humbling. I will say that. Yeah. It's like a, it kind of rightly places you right in the universe. right? And I get it that a lot of people can't handle that emotion. Um, but I was really glad that so many people came out and wasn't afraid to be, I mean, you could tell that some people were very nervous being there. Sure. It's like, oh, great. We're going to talk about her death. And, <laughs> you know, but um, we didn't. We talked about my life, you know, and again, how much we touch people and don't know it. People are watching us. You know, what are we going to show them? Are we going to show them a God that is wrathful and, you know, judging or, you know, are we going to show them a God that has been through what we've been through, you know, just going through Holy Week, knows our pain, suffered like us, you know, and loves us anyway. You know, I mean, the butterfly is my spiritual creature um, because that's how I feel the transforming of who I used to be and who I have become to be um, night and day. Uh, and so for me to think that Jesus loves me that much, you know, and even if I was the only one, he would die for me. You know, um, how can you, how can you treat people horrible and have the label Christian on your back? I don't, I don't get it. Have you, and I think I think a lot of our uh, to be able to receive that love and honor, it gives us something to give away. Yes, right? it it doesn't yes. lift us up in some ego way. Right, it gives us something to give away. Yeah, yep, it does. And I try and give. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you giving us this story. I think there's there's something for all of us to to consider in saying the thing now and loving each other now. Um, regardless of a diagnosis, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We're all going to die. I mean, that's the one given when we're born. We're going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, I just happen to have a time limit that I can use. So. Well, thanks for giving us some time. Okay. Thank you. We have a lot to learn from Joyce's story and from what she left in this conversation. Uh, I was hoping we could just close with paying some attention to this big idea of why she hosted The Wake and with her processing that. Uh, maybe this is a fragile question to, sure. to ask with a camera in your face, Keaton, but I, I'm struck by, by how it was still difficult for her, for Joyce to believe that she was loved. You know, seeing people show up and and having them be there for her, we we maybe imagine that if you got to watch your own funeral, you could receive that love and mm -hmm. you could feel affirmed. But she says it was still hard. Uh, can you can you relate to that feeling of it being hard to believe your 
you're loved and treasured? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can. And I think that's part of the reason why when I think of myself, like imagining if this was some a process that I would want to do a living wake, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I was trying to think through why that is. And I think it's because hearing these um, moments of love and endearment, um, I think it'd be tricky to hear because it'd be tricky to absorb. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many things said against us believing that whether it's competing voices or our own, you know, just brokenness sometimes that we, we put a block up around that. And I was thinking as, as I was talking to her about, um, Steve Martin, who is mostly known for being very funny, uh, wrote a book called born standing up. And, uh, there's a story in there that's haunted me for a long time. He talks about being with his father on his deathbed and his dad just started weeping. And when he asked him, like what had him so upset in the moment, his dad very articulately said, for all the love I received and couldn't return. And I just that phrase has been like buried in my in my head. Like, how could it not? <laughs> yeah, like, what would it be like to look back and see, oh, I was I was loved, but I just couldn't let it soak in. And I couldn't live out of that love. And. So my hope in, in sharing Joyce's story is we would all learn from her <laughs> how, to, how to get there a little faster if we could and how to, to let whatever love we receive sink in so that we live out of that love and so that we walk, walk around and, and give our love away a little better. Uh, so we'll try to do that uh, in Joyce's name. Uh, thank you for listening to Witness. <laughs> I'm